Welcome back to Ryan and Brian's Bible Bistro. I'm Ryan. I'm Brian. And this is the Bible Bistro, a podcast all about the Bible, theology, and things related. All things related. <laughs> all things related. Boom. Boom. Banging my head against the microphone here. Yes, all things related. We're back yeah. in the bistro. We just had a... It was delicious. An authentic Mexican meal. <laughs> authentic <laughs> Mexican meal. It was delicious. Yes. We're... Yes, it was good. Yeah, <laughs> it's good. We're it's good. we're we're back in here. It's good to be in the Indianapolis area. I was gonna say I didn't didn't say this last time we recorded, but uh, it was I was at my home congregation. They asked me to come yes. back and speak at homecoming yesterday, and that was nice. Uh, had a good time there, and good to see lots of people I hadn't seen in a long time. So I know some of them listen. Even have a Sunday school class that uses some of this sometimes. So yes. shout Zola out, Christian shout Church. Out to shout Zola, out Zola Christian Church. Yes. The center yeah. center of the restoration movement there in that, Scott County. That is Indiana. absolutely right. The center of the restoration movement. Well, we're back today. We're doing Daniel five, and you said before we started this, you said this is my favorite part, and I'm like, oh, oh the really? podcast. Yeah. And, you're like, and you go, no, Daniel, no. Daniel. I'm favorite like, part of Daniel. Yeah, favorite you're part like, of Daniel. Not well. I thought you were talking about the introduction because we never know what we're. I, I know this is going to surprise because it comes across so smoothly. <laughs> But we never know what we're going to we say never in, that, prepare in that introduction. Yeah, yeah. well, that's the charm, isn't it? Isn't that the charm of it? I don't know. It's the charm. I'm just going to go ahead and say it's the charm. <laughs> We've been psyching ourselves up, psyching yeah. up our, uh, our souls. souls. <laughs> that's that's a shout out for our biggest fan. Yeah. Um, hyping up our souls. But we're in Daniel 5. Right. So this is also, we're still in some of the, the narrative parts sure. of the story. Getting toward the end of the narrative. Only got a couple, couple yeah. more uh, accounts going on here. Yeah, so we had Wild Nebuchadnezzar mm -hmm. last week. He's got the nails. Yeah. I referenced like a Howard Hughes, scary Wolverine <laughs> nails. <laughs> right. Long hair like eagle feathers. Yeah. Eating some grass for a couple years. Yeah. And then, yeah. you know, we just had this question before we came up in this because we are moving on from Nebuchadnezzar now. Right. Is, did Nebuchadnezzar end up being a... Believer in a God. Believer in God. I mean, it seems like life it. That's, ended. Yeah, that's what Daniel seems to indicate. I mean, it, it's interesting. Um, you know, it, it, it really there's no more we can say than what we have there, and that's right. the kind of the last word on Nebuchadnezzar that we have here is that um, uh, he shouts out to the Most High God, and you know says says to his whole empire, you need to give credit to these to this God of the of Daniel, you know, because he's able to do things that these other gods are not able to do yeah his his dominion is an eternal dominion yeah, yeah. isn't that Woo. interesting yeah so chapters four and five then as we get into five are kind of in contrast then mm, yeah and and there, daniel's even going to make a specific statement comparing um belshazzar to to nebuchadnezzar and kind of draw those together so they're, they're intentionally laid here across even though the account of chapter five that you know it, it's all of these accounts in Daniel really don't give us any chronological markers. You know, there's not the except for the first one and the last one and the third year and the third year. But we don't have, you know, like, oh, this is, you know, 40 years later or, you know, in the second year of Belshazzar. It just all of a sudden we switch we switch from Nebuchadnezzar and now we're given this King Belshazzar who's now in, in control. Okay. So go ahead and read uh, verse one of chapter five and we'll we'll start talking about it there. Yes. And now I'm gonna say Belshazzar, not to be confused with Belshazzar, Belshazzar which right, is who's Daniel. Daniel's name. Yeah. Right. They have similar the, the, meanings probably. The bell, the bell, the yeah. ball, yeah. So And the Shazar has Shazar has to do with the sa saving or uh, protecting. Yeah. Right. Yeah. So just so you, no one gets confused if you're not if you're not reading this. 
Uh, so King Belshazzar, Belshazzar gave a great banquet for a thousand of his nobles and drank wine with them. While Belshazzar was drinking his wine, he gave orders to bring in the gold and okay, silver so, goblets. Stop right there. I just wanted verse one to start with because I want to talk about Belshazzar a little bit because later on it's going to talk about your father, the king, referring to Nebuchadnezzar. But Belshazzar is not technically Nebuchadnezzar's son. Mm. Uh, sometimes we have this happen. In, anybody in a well, same son of David, right? Yes. When we refer to the son of David, that doesn't necessarily just mean Solomon, right? It mm -hmm. means those who are his descendants. And so it's the same here when he talks about your father, Nebuchadnezzar. He just means your your ancestor. So I'm just going to briefly to kind of – the Bible doesn't do this for us, but I'm going to kind of get fill in a little bit of the gaps of what happened uh, after Nebuchadnezzar's death. Uh, then we have uh, his son – and now I've forgotten. Uh, uh, oh, and this is actually in Second Kings chapter 25, 27. I'd forgotten about this. Uh, and, and his name's – in, into English, it's hard to transliterate his name into English. Evil Mordok is the older way to do it, or Ul, Ul Mordok, you'll see now some. Uh, but uh, he was the king who became, he, he was the son of Nebuchadnezzar who became king. After two years, however, he was assassinated by Nebuchadnezzar's son in law. And um, he, he ruled for, I think, four years is how long that son in law ruled. So it was it basically killed his own brother in law in order yes. to take the throne. Yeah. He wasn't a, a physical descendant, descendant, not through the son line of Nebuchadnezzar, but I, it was his daughter's mm, yes. husband, yes. If, if you think of it that way. So uh, then uh, after he ruled, uh, he is succeeded by his son, Labashi Marduk, who after only two months was assassinated by Nabonidus. So uh, here's, here's the upshot of all of that mm. is after um, – after Nebuchadnezzar, there is a lot of transition taking place very quickly. It happens all the time. It's kind of a natural thing. You also see it in the end of the book of Second Kings. When you have assassinations taking place, people look around and say, well, all I have to do to be king is kill the king, kill the current king, right? Right. And so that's kind of a power play or this kind of an idea of, of, a, of a changing um, um, changing the kings very often. Nabonidus, though, does he's able to be on the throne for, for some time. I think it's 17 years, if I remember correctly. So he's able to reestablish a little bit of that glory. Mm -hmm. But then his son, after he dies, is Bel Bel Belshazzar. So that's okay. how we get to Belshazzar okay. from Nebuchadnezzar, just kind of a yeah, quick— Yeah, so it's not his biological son. It's just— His he's descendant. Just his, yeah, descendant. Yeah, his yeah. descendant. So, yeah. Okay, good. Okay. So now go ahead. Clear as mud. <laughs> Clear as mud. We got this all figured out. Well, Belshazzar was drinking his wine. He gave orders to bring in the gold and silver goblets that Nebuchadnezzar, his father, had taken from the temple in Jerusalem so that the king and his nobles, his wives and his concubines, might drink from them. So they brought in the gold goblets that had been taken from the temple of God in Jerusalem, and the king and his nobles, his wives and his concubines, drank from them. And they drank the wine. They praised the gods of gold and silver, of bronze, iron, wood, and stone." So we see them essentially giving praise to the gods of the uh, raw materials. Uh, well, right of the Babylonians. <laughs> yeah. Well, and and the, and the Babylonians, they it, it's what Paul says in Romans chapter one, right? Romans one says that they exchanged 
the uh, the worship of the creator for created things. And that's really what idolatry comes down to, right? We're mm-hmm. not giving praise to the one who brought these things into existence, but we're giving praise to them. We already saw when we looked at the names of, uh, well, one of the important gods, and I'll mention this in just a minute as, as for another reason as well, one of the important gods in the Babylonian hierarchy was the god of the moon. Uh, and we see his name in, in a couple of these different um, – uh, you know, Aki or Aku, we see that that name uh, mentioned. And, and so the God of the moon, for example, but then also, like you said, these material things like they're so they're drinking out of gold and silver and giving praise to these these metal gods, these I- idols, so to speak. OK, uh, but they're using the materials from the temple, which were mentioned all the way back in the second verse of this book. Chapter one, verse two, it says Nebuchadnezzar laid sack to Jerusalem and took some of the items from the article uh, from the articles from the temple and brought them to the temple of his God. Mm-hmm. And so here he's having this feast, a thousand people in attendance at this feast. And uh, I'm going to go ahead. I'll go ahead and say this now. We're going to see that this is actually backed up by a couple of other historical accounts uh, to the point that we can date this pretty, pretty specifically. Um, the uh, the uh, uh, feast is probably, and I'm going to tell you why I think this in a little bit, probably a, a feast to the moon god. And that's why I mentioned that. And I'll okay. say, say more about that later. But uh, he, he's having a feast, and, and we're going to find out. It's kind of a weird time to be having a feast, okay. but it's it's a regular. We think it's a regularly prescribed feast. That's one of the ways to understand what's going on okay. here. So one of the things that took place. And you're going to give us more information on why I you will. think that is yeah, okay. Yeah, and, but they are uh, they're using some of these articles that were dedicated. If you remember back to the book of uh, Deuteronomy or mm-hmm. Exodus or Leviticus, it, it talks about what needs to be done to set these apart for special use in the temple. So they're right. only to be used, be used for, for God. That. Yes. And uh, we, we talked last week about the uh, Ark of the Covenant, for example, mm-hmm. uh, and the way that the Ark of the Covenant, when it went to the Canaanites, would cause wreak havoc, was bad news. Yeah. And it's a similar kind of thing here. They're using these articles for things that, well, it's antithetical. It goes all the way back to what we've said that this book is really about is that contrast between the worship of the true God and the worship of idols mm-hmm. uh, all the way back to chapter one. Uh, if you'll recall that when we talk about the change of names right. uh, to reflect the gods of the, of the Babylonians. And so, so anyway, that, that's what's going on here. Um, so uh, go ahead into chapter five uh, verses five and six then. Yeah. Suddenly the fingers of a human hand appeared and wrote on the plaster of the wall near the lampstand in the Royal palace. The king watched the hand as it wrote. His face turned pale, and he was so frightened that his legs became weak and his knees were knocking. <laughs> Have you ever felt that felt that experience before? It's this idea of a sudden shock or fear. Now, this is a weird story in one way. It's a unique story. We don't have any other writing on the wall like this in, in the Old, yes. Old Testament. But it also does fit a pattern that we've seen already in Daniel, though, right? Mm-hmm. Um, it, it's, it's a portent. It's a... Uh, it's a story about what's going to happen in the future, but instead of coming as it did with Nebuchadnezzar in, in the dreams. in the form of dreams, it, it's this message that's written in this what we call it miraculous or uh, you know supernatural, however you want to think about it. This yeah. this unusual way, this message is written there in front of everybody. That's that's what I was just thinking. It's yeah. like in front of if there's a thousand people there, yeah. you know, yeah. I'm sure everybody's knees are knocking. Like I'd say so. Yeah, you, you know, when's the last time you were at a at a dinner party and 
a hand appeared and started writing on the wall. If it did, you should probably leave. I, in fact, I would just I would just leave the party. I would leave the city, given what we're going <laughs> to see here. Beetlejuice. <laughs> So anyway, I, I do think I think it's similar to, to what we saw with Nebuchadnezzar, mm -hmm. but it, it it is a different medium, so to so to speak, of what we see. So okay, uh, it's it's similar in this. There's an immediacy, right? As soon as he they start doing this, well, here, here's the result. So yeah, just a hand appears like out of nowhere. So what? Let, let me before you go any farther. Let me ask you what what do we expect then, given what we've seen with nebuchadnezzar and he has these dreams what's the next thing well, we're going to see ne everything that nebuchadnezzar has i mean his first dream was hey you've got a kingdom but then it's going to yeah. start falling apart there's gonna be other kings that come right. after you and then the other dream was like hey you're gonna go nuts right. for right yeah so it's not it's not it's not been great news so far <laughs> yeah a port is that the term portent we sometimes use or uh you know something like that a uh, uh, almost a curse but but what's the first thing Nebuchadnezzar would do in each of those cases? Get someone here that can help me understand this. Yeah, and so that's the same thing here we're going to see that mm -hmm. that uh, Belshazzar does. All right, and you want to continue yeah. here? The king summoned the enchanters, astrologers, and diviners. Then he said to these wise men of Babylon, whoever reads this uh, writing and tells me what it means will be clothed in purple and have a gold chain placed around his neck, and he will be made the third highest ruler in the kingdom. Then all the king's wise men came in, but they could not read the writing or tell the king what it meant. So just like we've seen before with Nebuchadnezzar, I'm calling together all these wise guys, and uh, you know none of them were able to to read this. I hadn't thought of this until you mentioned it last week. You mentioned that that Nebuchadnezzar went from killing them to to just you know asking about it. And now we have a kind of the other end a reward. If you can do this, we will give yeah, you a reward. Elevated. Right. I would have said the best I could do is second. Second. <laughs> I can, I'll give you the second in charge here, not third. So then uh, what happens now, of course, again, if you think back to Nebuchadnezzar, okay, these guys couldn't figure it out. So what are we expecting to happen now? By now, we're if we've been the, reading we this. Have a, we have a, a, a cycle here, a, yeah. like a, a formula here that they can't do it. And so then we call in Daniel. Daniel, and it shows the contrast of, of what's mm -hmm. happening. Now, Daniel gets called in on a slightly different way as well. I'll mention here, let me read just verse 10 uh, for you, the beginning. It says, the queen, when she heard the discussion of the king and his lords. So queen here, this word could be either uh, referring to... Um, just like in our, you know, we don't, we don't, you know, Americans aren't much about kings and queens, but there are still kings and queens in the world. Kind of like the way we count it, this word can either refer to Belshazzar's wife or, or mom or, or mother. mother, right? Uh, and I think, you know, like from the previous generation idea, and I think given what we have coming next, that might be the better way to understand this, kind of like his queen mother. Mm -hmm. uh, because what happens is when she hears this discussion, she came into the banqueting hall. Uh, the queen said, oh, king, live forever. Do not let your thoughts terrify you or your face grow pale. There is a man in your kingdom who is endowed with the spirit of the holy gods. And there's that mm -hmm. whole same, gods same phrase we saw back uh, before. Mm -hmm. uh, he, he has a spirit of the holy gods. In the days of your father, okay, there's, so that's, that's that idea of Nebuchadnezzar, back mm -hmm. to the time of Nebuchadnezzar. In the days of your father, he was found to have enlightenment, understanding, and wisdom like the wisdom of the of the gods. Your father, King Nebuchadnezzar, made him chief of magicians, enchanters, Chaldeans, and diviners. There's that uh, Chaldean thing we've talked about before. Uh, because an excellent spirit, knowledge, and understanding to interpret dreams, explain riddles. And this is probably what we see the writing on the wall we're going to see in just a minute is best described as a riddle. Mm 
Mm-hmm. So we had the you know the dreams before, and this is a riddle. And solved problems were found in this Daniel, whom the king called Belteshazzar. Uh, now let Daniel be called, and he will give the interpretation. So uh, the queen, queen mother, however we understand this, says, oh, you, there is this person you haven't tried yet. Now what we should imagine, because the history I gave you there, now think about it, if if we have you know at the end of the story of Nebuchadnezzar, uh, we don't know how many how many more years of his reign he had after this. He does say he was restored to his kingdom, mm-hmm. and then we have, um, you know, I mentioned after his death we had um, uh, Ewell Mordock, and then we had um, the king that reigned for four years and his son only a couple of months, and then one who Nabonidus who reigned for seventeen years before Belshazzar does. And I don't think Belshazzar hasn't been on the throne very very long. But we're talking about the period probably twenty five years. Mm-hmm from the end of the story of um, uh, Nebuchadnezzar Nebuchadnezzar until we get to to this. So I mentioned at the very beginning of this whole series that Daniel, uh, this is a span of about 70 years, something like that. Mm -hmm. And so he's probably getting to be an old man by this point, right? Mm -hmm. Uh, And so he's brought in before the king, and we're going to see this is is the response. He's kind of been forgotten is the way I would put it. He's kind of been, you know, <laughs> put to the side. And- it's, uh, this kind of reminds me, again, total side note, reminds me of like uh, a Joseph. Joseph, yeah. yeah. When a generation arose who no longer knew Joseph. Joseph yeah, yeah. That's it's like, uh, uh, push him off to the side. Yeah. And so that's the same kind of thing here, I think. Yeah. Okay. So where are we can picking up here at? Uh, 13? It's, um, 20, 20. Yeah. Yeah. I'm sorry. 13. Yeah. 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 <laughs> here we go. I was going to say, so Daniel was brought before the king, and the king said to him, Are you Daniel, one of the exiles my father the king brought from Judah? I have heard that the spirit of the gods is in you, and that you have insight, intelligence, and outstanding wisdom. The wise men and enchanters were brought before me to read this writing and tell me what it means, but they could not explain it. Now I have heard that you were able to give interpretations and to solve difficult problems. If you can read this writing and tell me what it means, you'll be clothed in purple and have a gold chain placed around your neck, and you'll be made the third highest ruler in the kingdom. I suppose we should say this. Clothed in purple is a sign of royalty, right? It's a very expensive cloth. It was probably made, one of the ways it was made in the ancient world was through uh, small sea creatures, and so it was a very costly process, and so it's it's a sign of, of, of wealth and royalty. Daniel's answer in the presence of the king is let you, this is verse 17, let your gifts be for yourself or give your rewards to someone else. Nevertheless, I will read the writing of the king and let him know the interpretation. In other words, I don't need your, your gifts, mm-hmm. but I will do this uh, for you. Uh, and then here's the, here's the uh, reminder of the story. Oh, king, the most high God, give your father Nebuchadnezzar. I'm sorry. The most high God gave your father Nebuchadnezzar kingship, greatness, glory, and majesty, and because of the greatness that he gave him, all peoples, nations, and language trembled and feared before him. He killed those he wanted to kill, kept alive those he wanted to keep alive, honored those he wanted to honor, and degraded those he wanted to degrade. But when his heart was lifted up and his spirit was hardened so that he acted proudly, that takes us back to the last chapter yeah, of that story. Looking at his gardens and all that he'd done. Exactly. So when he acted proudly, he was deposed from his kingly throne and the glory was stripped from him. He was driven from uh, among people and his mind was made like that of an animal. His dwelling was with the wild asses. He he fed grass, fed was fed grass like oxen and his body was bathed with the dew of heaven until he learned that the most high God had sovereignty over the kingdom of mortals uh, and and sets over uh, and sets over it whomever he will, and so 
essentially he's saying you've forgotten the story of, of Nebuchadnezzar. You've not learned from the story of Nebuchadnezzar. You know, you know the saying: if if we, you know, if you don't remember, if you don't remember history, you're doomed to repeat it, right? Mm-hmm. And so here is this idea: you have, um, you know, you've forgotten that lesson of humility, and instead of humbling yourself, you've uh, you've had a great deal of pride. Let's let's at this point talk a little bit about this pride, because what we don't find out right now until a little bit later in the story is that this wasn't just any day, but but the Medes and the Persians were at the gates of the city. They had surrounded okay Babylon. Mm-hmm. In this period of time, Babylon saw itself. I mentioned this a little bit last week as essentially impregnable mm-hmm. uh, i'm going to give you a few details herodotus the, the historian herodotus gives us a description of babylon in this period of time he said there was a massive wall i think 32 feet high if i remember off the top of my head but anyway a massive stone wall double wall though that ran around the entirety of this huge city of babylon herodotus who's, who's the we call him the father of history right herodotus says that this was the most magnificent city of its day and, uh, you know, that's what we mentioned a little bit with Nebuchadnezzar. He'd made it beautiful. He'd, he'd built all this stuff. He'd made it impregnable. Uh, it's right where it's in the area of Mesopotamia, and it's technically where the Euphrates River flows. And one of the things that, um, that Nebuchadnezzar had done is he built the city in such a way that the river flowed under the walls uh, so if there was siege, they always had water. You always had water. So so laying siege to an ancient city was the way that you you took it. Mm-hmm. And, and the two things that you could do is you could deprive people of fresh water. You could provide them deprive them of food. Well, they had a constant supply of fresh water. The area it's estimated that Babylon was enclosed during this period of time was around two thousand acres. Oh wow. So if you had gardens, if you had trees, you, you know, you could grow your own. You had water to grow the food, and you could just stay in there indefinitely. You know, probably fishing in the river. This was essentially the idea of a siege-proof city. Mm-hmm. And, and so Belshazzar is having this feast, mm-hmm. even though this army is surrounding him. I think because he is talk about pride, he is utterly convinced that there is nothing that this attacking army can do to them. Mm that we are in this position where we can never, never be defeated. We're not going to fall. We right. can't fall. Absolutely. So he has this 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 feast. Uh, both Herodotus and, and the historian Xenophon, who who's, who's comes a little bit later, he writes a, a history of uh, or a, uh, a biography, really one of the earliest biographies in the history of the world. Now I'm getting into stuff. I studied my PhD that we don't care about. But, but Xenophon uh, wrote this really interesting story about Cyrus, uh, and we, we, there's all kinds of debates about how much of it is true. It, it's at least based on the life of Cyrus. Uh, and, and so there are some similarities between Herodotus and Xenophon, but both of them agree that that this was a festival that was regularly celebrated during during this particular time. Uh, I'm just going to read to you a little bit from, from uh, Xenophon. Oh, no, I didn't. Yeah, okay, here it is, yeah. There was a certain festival that had come around in Babylon during which all Babylon was accustomed to drink and and revel all night long. And so so I think that that's this festival to the moon god that was regularly scheduled during this period of time. And they're like, uh, it doesn't matter if there's, a, if there's an enemy army at the gates. We're going to go ahead and do this. And my point here is that that is the, that is the epitome uh, of a prideful position, right? There's nothing that can happen. 
that can cause us to fall. Mm-hmm. And this is the point at which in the in this banquet they're toasting the gods. In this banquet, the the hand appears, and and it writes on the wall. And so Daniel's come in, uh, brought in to 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 interpret it. He points out to Belshazzar, your pride. You know, you didn't learn from Nebuchadnezzar. Your pride is your problem. So go ahead and read verses twenty five. Well, actually, let me read twenty four and twenty five. So from his presence, the hand was sent, and this writing was inscribed. And this is the writing that was inscribed: many, many tekel parson. Uh, and I'll just say a few things about these words. Uh, these words all have to kind of do with with money and with weight. Okay, uh, so so if you think about it, um, I'm going to give you just a couple of weird examples. But the English word, uh, like what we call a dollar in the United States, in England they it's they they have a pound. Okay, so that that's a weight, right? Mm. So so a lot of the idea of a monetary system goes back to a time when you could imagine weighing out a certain amount of gold or a certain amount of precious metal or silver or whatever, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and so the the Spanish word peso is the same. Uh, if you go into uh, um, you know uh, order some meat, you you order it by the peso by the by the pound. It's, okay. it's you know it's the same kind of an idea that there is this this measurement in money. So many many tekel parson. Uh, one thing I've compared it to is a little bit like me saying something like uh, nickel nickel quarter dime, right? Something like that. It, it's it's a it's a riddle, and so it's not that they didn't understand the words, but they're like, <laughs> what does that mean? Okay. okay, right. So. So go ahead now and read read the interpretation. Uh, here's what the, these words means. Mene, God has numbered the days of your reign and brought it to an end. Tekel, you have been weighed on the scales and found wanting. Uh, Perez, is it Perez? Perez or Parson. Yeah, Parson, it, it, yeah. It, it, either one. Okay. Perish is probably what it's probably a, you don't care, but it's probably an aspirated H on the end, but it doesn't matter. You're, <laughs> you read my mind. I don't care. Right, anyway. Your kingdom is divided and given to the Medes and Persians. So many, and all of these, by the way, have not only to do with the idea of money, like I said, nickel, nickel, quarter, dime, but it also has to do with, um, it also has to do with, there's a verb attached to this. So that's the idea of like, uh, this first one is like counting. So many, many is like counting. Mm -hmm. Okay. And, and, And his interpretation of that is the days have been counted. Mm-hmm. That's what that counting idea is. Mm-hmm. Uh, the word tekel is, is that word is like that word pound. It has to do with weighing. Mm-hmm. Okay, so so you've been placed in the balance. Uh, one of the commentators I read made a really neat little point about this. They said it's really talking about his past, present, and future. So in the past, you've been placed in this position, mm-hmm. but your days are numbered. And then the present is you have been judged. You've been weighed and found mm-hmm. lacking. Uh, it's like you've been put on the scale, and right, you don't, you you don't, you're not up to to the measurement. And again, the problem here, I think, is his is his pride. He, he's he's trying to do things on his own. Same thing that happened with Nebuchadnezzar. He's taking credit for his position himself. Which, I, I mean, it, if you think about it, his dad assassinated a guy in order to get on the throne, and then and then he he just gets the throne. Right, right. I mean, he had, it, it's nothing to do with him. Right. Right. And then, and then, parson or parish is the idea of of a half or or being being split. So I, you know, it's like it's like a nickel dime, right? Um, uh, 
what's the what's the old phrase uh two bits well that's not what i was thinking about uh no never mind but uh <laughs> it's the idea <laughs> it's the All idea right. it's the idea of like a half right okay. Uh, and, and so this idea is is uh, it, it your 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 brain is now being cut short. It's being it's being cut now. Mm-hmm. Is the idea, and, and so you know what does Daniel say there? He says that it's 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 brought to an end. It's divided, I should say, and given to the Medes and the Persians. Going to be cut in half is what I was what I what I should have said there in that in that case. So Belshazzar then gave the command. And he, he interprets it, and there's. there's it's very quick what happens next. There's not a lot of afterward. Mm-hmm. Uh, Belshazzar gave the command, and Daniel was clothed in purple. A chain of gold was put around his neck, and a proclamation was made concerning him that he should rank third in the kingdom. But then we get 30 and 31. That very night, Belshazzar, the Chaldean king, was killed, and Darius the Mede received the kingdom, being about 62 years old. Hmm. So that very night of this festival... Uh, of them feasting in the palace and Dan, the writing on the wall and, and Daniel saying, this is what's happening. Uh, that very night is when we find the switch from the Babylonian uh, into the, the Medo-Persian empire. Is the author trying to draw the connection because how they dishonored the elements from the temple yeah, is so. what caused. I think so. You know, like if it's if it's yeah. cut in half, was there more? Could there have been potentially more? But like I think this, so. uh, this yeah. arrogance, this pride yeah. of like taking this and we're going to honor the stone, wood, we're gold, gonna and honor silver the idols. It, it, uh, yeah. So it comes down to now. There's some people who see. Well, that, that's all I'll say about that. But it's <laughs> it's um, yeah, it's it's an idolatry. It, it's basically uh, giving credit to the gods of the of the Babylonians for what's going on here rather than acknowledging that the true God is the one and what's been the message the whole time. The true God is the one who decides who's going to be on the throne. Right. Uh, the true, true God is the one who's sovereign. Uh, he brought Nebuchadnezzar into power and he's able to take him out of power and bring him back into power. Mm-hmm. Uh, and now he's brought Belshazzar into power, but, but Belshazzar is acknowledging the gods of the idols instead, the Babylonian idols. So, so yeah, absolutely. I think that's what's going on. Hmm. Now, it seems like a very strange story. Again, a strange time to be having this feast. I kind of explained that, that when they thought that they thought they were at your gates, literally. <laughs> so both Herodotus and Xenophon, though, tell us that this is how it happened. It's very interesting that they agree with Daniel in this account. Daniel doesn't give us a lot of the details. Herodotus goes into great detail. Xenophon does. I, I gave just a little bit of, uh, of Xenophon here. I'm just going to tell you some of the backstory, and then I'll read just a little bit of it. Um all of them are interesting accounts to read in this in this relationship. Uh, the Cyrus Cylinder t- talks about it a little bit as well, but Herodotus and uh, and Xenophon are the better better reads about it. But and I couldn't believe this when I first heard about this. I went, I, you know, I had Herodotus on the shelf, so I went and pulled it off the shelf and read it. I'm like, oh my goodness, I never never knew this. But what uh, what Cyrus did is he had this plan, uh, and Cyrus and Darius, you, you know, you have a Persian and a Mede. Mm-hmm. empire yeah. kind of working together on this uh but they had this idea of um you know so the euphrates river was part of the defenses of the city and and basically they came to the city and they're all like we're never going to these huge walls they they agreed there's no way we're ever going to be able to take this but somebody came up with the idea of, well what about what about the river and uh, initially Cyrus says, well, the river's even worse. You know, we, how are we getting this so deep and it's fast moving? How would we ever get into it? 
But they they came up with this plan of digging ditches that would divert the river up upstream into this valley, and essentially that that would take the water, and so the water level would lower. Mm. And Herodotus gives us a great, like a very detailed story about this that they they sat there and watched until as the water went lower and lower. The day that the ditches were finally done, and this was already you know they were ready to knock down that last bit so that the water would be diverted for a period of time. Uh, they waited until this time of the festival mm. because they were all occupied. Drunk. With, right. <laughs> I mean, this is what it says. So let me read a little bit of Xenophon to you. Uh, at last, the ditches were completed. Uh, then when he heard that a certain festival had come around in Babylon, during which all Babylon was accustomed to drink and revel all night long, Cyrus took a large number of men just as soon as it was dark, opened up the heads of the trenches at the river. So, you know, you can imagine they're breaking down these last uh, dams that are going to allow the water to flow. As soon as that was done, the water flowed down through the ditches in the night and the bed of the river where it traversed the city became passable for men. And Herodotus gives us a really detailed uh, version uh, that talks about, you know, it's got lower and lower and lower, finally got lower enough for the men to go in. And he had men stationed at both sides. Uh, Xenophon tells us that Herodotus both do. Um, and, and from both sides, they come in and essentially take the, take the uh, city without, without much destruction at all. They're able to just come in and and take over the city uh, because they were they were so unexpected. The guards were, you know, if you're on guard duty, this huge city that you don't expect anybody to be able to ever be able to take. And you probably don't have the army standing ready to go because you're just like they're out partying. And it's like, yeah, it's just another day. Exactly. Another day in Babylon. And so it's, you know, what seems like an incredible story. and, And, you know, again, the Bible I'm always amazed when the Bible gives us something like this because it's it's very brief. You know, it reminds me of uh, of the account you mentioned last week, uh, Shalmaneser, and it reminds me a little bit uh, of the account of Sennacherib when mm-hmm. he was surrounding Jerusalem, and and you the know, angel comes, the angel and- dies, and they the, the angel comes and they all die. Just a very brief, you know, one one verse. It says, you know, 186 thousand men died. You know. Mm-hmm. And, and, or woke up. They woke up in the morning. They were all dead, is what it says. Um, but um, the 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 brevity here again is is fascinating. But then when you read these historical, you know what we consider to be historical accounts, Herodotus, the father of history, Xenophon, uh, and, and you read these, and they corroborate so closely what's going on. Mm-hmm. Is our festival going on? You know, explains why they would be doing what they were doing, and they're toasting to the gods, right? This is the moon festival, which would have been a very important festival for the Babylonians, one of their chief gods. Uh, and and that, that very night, God says, "This is this. is I'm going to take the kingdom away from you because I'm the one who determines this, and I'm going to give it to the Medes and the Persians. Wow. So, Well, and going back to the Sennacherib thing, I was looking at the Sennacherib prism yeah, the other sure. day, and it's like, there's the whole story of him laying siege to Jerusalem, but, but not the story it. of him taking yeah. Jerusalem. And it's like, well, that's it. scripture is telling yeah. us as well. Yeah, Hezekiah, I shut up like a bird in a cage, and then he goes on to the yes. next story. Yeah. It's like all these others, like I beheaded him, and I took his children, and yeah, took and the rest like, of Judah basically, yeah. but like yeah. not and, Jerusalem. And I, I shut up Hezekiah like a bird in a cage, and it goes and on. Hezekiah built a tunnel preparing for him again, exactly. a water for a yeah. siege. Exactly. Yeah. So yeah. I think that yeah, this is a really interesting story. I mean, that's the. I think this is always the thing we talk about is like context, yeah, you sure. know, and like we, we have the story of God here, right? But there's some historical context that yeah. kind of breathes a little, yeah. 
uh, not that God's <laughs> scriptures are lacking, but breathes a little something on this for for us and our modern minds trying to understand, to like understand what what's it, the yeah. what's the context of yeah. what all is happening here? Because I think that's one of those things. Like, why would you be celebrating if there's someone knocking at your door? Sure. And we don't get that lead up of the army like what we would. Um, when we well, hear about the Assyrians or the Babylonians right. coming, we don't get this lead-up story of the armies well, coming. Well, and I think when this was first written during the early Persian Empire, if I'm correct that it's written during the 6th century, during the during the early Persian Empire, people would have known the story. Mm-hmm. You would, There'd be no reason for Daniel to tell the story because they would know it. And so he tells the story of what was going on inside, and they'd be like, oh, okay, uh-huh. this isn't this isn't Cyrus's and his general's uh, military wits. We need to recognize, and of course, when they read the book of Isaiah saying there's a prophecy about Cyrus as well, we need to recognize it is the God of Israel that is orchestrating these things. Mm-hmm. That That's that's the initial impression it would have had that, upon them. Yeah, that, I was read, yeah, I was reading John Walton. This, yeah, this could sure. be a totally side thing, but he talks about things <laughs> in Scripture that are reference and things that yeah. are affirmations. Yeah, like, absolutely. They, the, God, the, the Bible doesn't need to like, keep referring to things that are commonly known at the exactly. time. They're, he the, the writers are reframing it to affirm something about yeah. God and, yeah. the, and, the, and, the, and the character and nature of, the, of, of God. I think this does apply. That's a perfect example of what you're talking about because, again, if this story was already known, but they would have, they, you know, well, let me put it this way. Xenophon's Cyropedia, that's the name of the book, named after Cyrus, right? The Cyropedia. Yeah. And, and the whole idea of it is to laud Cyrus. That That's why we think that there are some accounts that are probably exaggerated or unhistorical because um, the whole point of the book isn't to tell the fact, you know, it's not a, uh, not a dry history, but it's a history trying to make Cyrus look like a hero, right? Right. And, and so that account would be out there. You know, Cyrus. Look, look at all this wisdom and how what mm-hmm. a great leader Cyrus was. Not unlike late at a later period of time, what we're going to see with the Caesar's uh, histories. Right. They're going to exactly because he writes them himself. But but to make Julius Caesar look really good, right? And, and so he tells it in such a way that, um, well, that he doesn't he doesn't need to cover the things that are already circulating it, it, out there. Exactly. Cyrus is the hero, according to Xenophon, but Daniel comes along and says, now, wait a minute, there's more to the story, mm-hmm. and the real hero here is God. Yeah. Uh, he is the one who is the is the raiser of kingdoms and nations. And, and so so thinking about that and always thinking, what what is the original reader? So, so reminding them uh, of this. And, and I have a suspicion – and I can't, I can't prove this. I think Daniel. I don't think Daniel returned in the exile. He had the opportunity because Cyrus allowed mm-hmm. uh, people to go back to their homes. We're going to see that. You can see that in Ezra chapter one. We're going to talk about it a little bit next uh, next week. But but what what we see with Daniel's, I think he he stayed in exile and died there. But I do think he had this position of authority with the. Well, he's called the chief of the ma- magicians, right? Right. And, and, and he he is teaching people about this so by the time you get to to jesus uh the birth of jesus and there are these wise men Hmm. who come from the east right and they say we've heard about this we're expecting this king of the jews and we've seen like astrologers we've seen his star right we've seen Hmm. it seen it rise and we've come to pay homage to this king of the jews i think these are the not physical descendants of daniel I think these are the philosophical and intellectual heirs like to Daniel. Be, like Belshazzar is not really the son of Nebuchadnezzar, right, but he's right. a descendant. These, these, these magi, I think, are are related to the court of the Babylonians, and this this wisdom has been handed down through Persia and you know from mm. Daniel 
um, that he had that kind of influence that that was handed down as wisdom yeah. for years to that's come. Cool to, that's cool to think about. You know, yeah. I hadn't, hadn't yeah. put those two pieces and again, together. That's a suspicion. Like right, I said, right. there's no yeah. no proof. I'm not the only one who thinks that though. But but uh, I think it's it, it fits well. But it, again, it's that kind of an idea that uh, that um, you know. Uh, you're reframing the story you're you, you know you're just saying and oh, wait a minute it's not cyrus that's the hero of the story mm-hmm. and and when god's done with cyrus that 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 could change too mm-hmm. right when he's done with the medes and the persians particularly there's going to be yeah. this guy named alexander that you guys are gonna to have to deal with down yeah, it's the road just a, such a crazy time of i mean it's always yeah. as soon as solomon passes away and we have Rehoboam and jeroboam sure. it starts this path yeah. of like craziness that just sw- i mean it is crazy <laughs> right i mean it, we you know we get we the the north and the south are fighting with each other then yeah. you've got the assyrians coming yep. through and then you know you've got then the egyptians are kind of making a run yeah. back up there and here comes assyrians and babylonia it's and then yeah. alexander it's like what a crazy messed up yep. place that you know that god's working through this and i think god's showing like it doesn't have to be perfect conditions. He's still in control. Absolutely. What we would think would be perfect conditions for his kingdom, but he's working the pieces to, yeah. to, to bring his kingdom. And as we've said before, ap- apocalyptic literature, and I know I, I keep saying that, but apocalyptic literature like Daniel mm-hmm. is is written in times of, of turmoil. It, it right. comes in times of chaos to remind us of this fact that God is on the throne. That's what mm-hmm. that's what it's about. That's what it's for. Um, yeah. Uh, this. Yeah. Anyway. What were we gonna- Daniel is a good introduction to the book of Revelation yeah. because the book of Revelation picks up, we're going to see, of course, we're going to get into this crazy, you talk about craziness, we're going to get a couple of weeks, we'll be talking about um, uh, you know, some of the apocalyptic images, but, but John picks up on some of these images in Daniel and applies them to the situation we find when God's people are in, uh, under Roman rule. Mm-hmm. Right, he's in exile because of the word of God and the testimony. Right. Maintaining his yeah. testimony, he's in exile on the Isle of Patmos when God reveals the things that He reveals to him in Revelation. So he uses some of these same images to talk about what's going on in that in that context. All right. Well, this is great. It's a great conversation here. Good talking yeah. about this and you know some of that historical context yeah. for those of you out there that didn't know some of that historical context <laughs> that kind of helps paint that picture of what's going on right. and how God's working in it. Right. And I'm excited then because we're in a whole new empire. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Stay tuned after. for the Greeks or for the the Medes, Medes and, the and Persians. Persians. Yeah, into that yeah. and then then into the fun stuff. We've what's all the been... who, what's the who who line? Uh, meet the new boss just like the old boss. Something like that. <laughs> Second verse, same as the first. <laughs> anyway, well, Brian, thanks so much. If you're enjoying the podcast, you can go to our website, thebiblebistro.com. Yeah. You can, up right-hand corner, you can click a button if you'd like to support us um, on Patreon. We'd appreciate that to help yeah. support us continue doing this work. Um, or share, you know, if yeah. you've got someone that's interested in Daniel. Or we have 120-some-odd other episodes that we cover, you know, just about anything. We'll just go to anything. We're going to have stuff to talk about. No, that's not true. That's <laughs> anyway, not true. there's lots going on there. But if you'd share or go to Apple Podcasts, give us a review. We'd appreciate that yeah. as well. So Review uh, and uh, and rate. Yeah, review, rate, and, and share. We'd appreciate yep. that. Yep. All right. Thanks so much, Brian. That's a phone call. Oh, it's the Lord. All right. We got to go. <laughs> Just kidding. All right. Talk to you later, Brian. See you next Tuesday. See ya.